We all knew this moment was coming. Beowulf, while a total proper badass, wasn't going to live forever. But he didn't die so much as he was killed by a dragon. Which I guess is the same as dying. <laughs> but he took End that, result he took that bastard with him. Yeah. He did he's no old king dying by old age. Right. How old is he? He's seventy, I think we determined. Something, yeah, it was a rough estimate, but he's no Rothgar, right? Rothgar right. basically just succumbs to old age. Mm-hmm. Beowulf's not gonna sit around and wait for that. He's gonna go find yeah. death. That's not how things roll in the uh the gate land. Um, in the last commentary track, I mentioned that I was worried that a winter wasn't actually a full year, mm-hmm. but in this part that we've just heard, it talks about him being seven years old, uh, when his father dies mm-hmm. or when his father is killed. So it looks like a winter is a year. I think it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. So Although we did look up to make sure that this part of Sweden, mm-hmm. where the Gaets come from, is not high enough uh, to latitude wise winter. To, oh, right. To have <laughs> six months of winter. Right. Not that, I mean, I guess... Once you're up there, winter is winter, and your summer is fall, basically, because it's so <laughs> cold all the time. Oh, yeah, climate change aside, he's been king for 50 years, which makes him roughly 70, possibly pushing 80, depending on how old he was when he mm-hmm. fought Grendel. Old, even by modern standards. Yes, and certainly old by standards of a 1,000-plus years ago. For sure. So this is my grandfather mm-hmm. busting into a dragon's cave, Knowing that it's going to be really is, I mean, this is going to be his last fight. He knows it. They foreshadow to it more than once. In fact, I wouldn't even call it foreshadowing. He, The narrator pretty much says that Beowulf knows this is going to be his last battle. He knows he's going to die in this fashion. Mm-hmm. And he's just going to get it done. And he gets it done. He might die, but he yeah. also slays a Mugafogan dragon. <laughs> um, although in classic fashion, we have to, we have to, prep the whole fight before we get to the fight we have to go through a little bit more history right we have to give some speeches and another thing that they point out is that they happen to mention they they refer to the the naked dragon and that the dragon doesn't have weapons he doesn't have armor in the same way that he that he fought grendel right and he it i feel like there's this idea of power where it's just like you prove how strong you are by almost trying to put yourself at a disadvantage and even like in like a weird break for a lot of these stories, they mm-hmm. even go and have this mention of he's like when he's talking to his troops, he's like, "I'm sure you guys noticed that I have a a sword and a shield. That's because I'm fighting a fire dragon, <laughs> right. and I'm not a crazy person. I might have really strong hands, but I'm not crazy. I kind of expect to need the shield this time, right? Uh, so <laughs> I I just thought it was humorous uh, that they clarify. He's like, "I know that I fight everybody barehanded, and that's kind of my shtick, but." This is a dragon, right? And I'm, 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 I've retired, right? I, I'm king. I retired several years ago. I've been on social security for quite some time now. <laughs> Let me have the shield, okay? If I could put this in terms that you would right. understand, you would not grab a hot pie out of the oven, right? Let alone fight a dragon, right? Without protecting your hands and yourself. So here I go. I got a shield. I got some armor. Don't judge me, right? I don't see you guys doing anything, right? In fact, you're <laughs> retreating to the woods, right? Um, so I guess let's go back to the beginning where this portion, <laughs> since our last commentary has started, and they're talking about a slave, right? And mm-hmm. I think you and I are at this point on the same page about this, but if you have disagreements, I want you to chime in. And this part's hard to talk about because of the lacuna. 
Right, there's a missing part of the text. Yeah, right before they mention the slave, then there's a big break in the text where just historically we haven't found the manuscript mm-hmm. that fills in the gap. Or we have and it's beyond being able to be read or it's just lost. Do you know which one it is? Um, I would think that a lacuna is just a, a gap. A gap, oh. Yeah, so, yeah, a, a lacuna gap. is the term for, in these ancient texts, they'll abbreviate that we think that these two things line up these the stories are this way sequentially, but we don't have a piece that's in the middle, so we just put dot dot dot. Right. Uh, and I'm saying we like I'm a part of that community, but I'm <laughs> really not. You were you were there <laughs> um, going through the veil. Yeah. So it looks like in the text it looks like it, an ellipses, mm-hmm. but then there's a little footnote and it tells you that that there's some really good guesses as to what might be happening here, and it's explaining that somebody has stolen the cup mm-hmm. from the dragon. Um, but before they say he's stolen the cup from the dragon, they talk about him fleeing the blows of heroes. So my interpretation of this is that this fella who finds this, who kind of happens upon this horde quite accidentally, while I think probably sounds like looking for a place to hide, mm-hmm. he is Beowulf's captive. Uh, there's been battle crashings, as they put, they didn't say that specifically, mm-hmm. but I'm just using the language of the text. There's been battle crashings. This guy is a slave mm-hmm. now to... Uh, to Beowulf's kingdom, and he finds a way to escape, or he runs away, or he flees. Slave, in the sense that they use it in this text, may not be the way that we think of like Egyptian slave. Maybe these slaves aren't chained so much as they're just forced into some kind of agreed servitude or something. So he has an easy way to flee. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But he ends up fleeing in any event and finds this hoard of gold and decides, hey, being the Beowulf likes gold so much, mm-hmm. which is the second thing we know best about Beowulf, other than his hands are incredibly strong and he's a total awesome guy. We know that he loves gold. Maybe if I bring this gold back to Beowulf, he will grant me my freedom. And they say that they do. They grant him the boon. They grant mm-hmm. him the favor of freedom. Um, so he takes the he takes one piece. He takes it back. Beowulf's probably like, well, hey, man, where'd you get this? This is some, this is some mighty fine gold you got here. Uh, where can I get some more of this? Takes him to the hoard. They plunder the hoard without waking up the dragon. So either the dragon's away on vacay or he's a real hard sleeper, real heavy sleeper, mm-hmm. uh, and they get away with more gold. The dragon wakes up at some point, either hears someone there while he's sleeping or sees the treading of men, like paths cut through the gold or whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and determines that somebody's been in this hoard. And, hey, man, uh, what's up with that? So he then comes out of his cave, decides to start burning stuff up, and really, everything's all good until it's Beowulf's palace that gets burned up. <laughs> Beowulf comes home. There used to be a palace here. Seems like maybe this isn't the way I left it. Right. There's a dragon flying around. I got to do something about this. Turns to the guy that brings him the gold and says, hey, we're going to give you your freedom, as previously discussed. But now you're a soldier in my army, and uh, you're coming with us because in the text it says he's the only one who knows where the horde is, which makes me wonder if there was any previous plundering, and this could be, right, because it says that it was previously plundered, but then it says that this guy is the only guy who knows where the horde is. Mm-hmm. So maybe he was going back and forth and doing the plundering, and maybe it wasn't Beowulf I think that and his was, crew. Yeah, I think that's the long and short of it, yeah. Right. Um, so he says, you're part of the army now. We're going with these other 12 guys, and we're going to kill this dragon. You're going to show us where he is. Mm-hmm. So he kind of got cons- conscripted there. Whoops. Uh, it, it reminds me of... Uh this is just the classic way of, do you want dragons? Because this is how you get dragons. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> did you, where did you get this gold? Is this yours? Did you find this? 
this is how you get dragons. Um, although I think this is, and I think we kind of touched on this before, but this idea of like dragons and their and their golden hordes. I don't. I haven't come across other stories that have this, but I. I mean, or stories that are older than this that have this. So it's just one of these like things where this might be like the beginning of dragons love gold, dragons don't like thieves, and only heroes can fix this problem. Um, but I think you had mentioned before, off outside of this discussion, that like dragons are super popular. Like dragons are. In Asian mythology, there's yep. dragons. In Aztec mythology, there's you know dragon-like serpents. Um, just all over the place, there's this idea of of dragon-like beasts. And they all seem similar. Similar, right? They all have. They usually they usually all have wings. Although some of uh, the or at least can fly. Right. Asian dragons don't well, have wings, but they have like a bump on their head that makes them fly. The German one, the German ones, and the Eastern European, like Slavic dragons, mm-hmm. seem to be more worm-like. They don't seem to have wings. Like, uh, pretty sure that Siegfried's dragon or Sigmund's dragon did not have wings or wasn't described in the same way. I might be wrong about mm-hmm. that, but I think he's referred to as a worm in that story. Going to going over to Sigmund, switching gears a little bit. But what I find interesting is that dragons are in every culture, if you go far back enough. And I just think it's, I wonder why that is. I don't think there were ever real dragons, but there must be some kind of common animal, maybe. Mm, I think there actually is a lot of interesting research done around maybe how um, ancient peoples would have interacted with fossils. Mm -hmm. And my knowledge, again, is is specific to a lot of like Greek mythology where I think in the region of Greece at the time period when the Greeks would have been even before they were in their, the height of their civilization, it would have been relatively easy for them to stumble across like mammoth bones. Mm -hmm. And if you take a mammoth skeleton and stack it up, like you thought it was a person where the hole in us in a mammoth's skull where the trunk would have been Mm -hmm. looks like, looks like um, where you would put an eye. Oh, so Yeah, like it would have just been a mammoth skeleton put together and it would look like just a giant human with a a giant hole in the middle of its head. So you're saying that maybe dragons could have come about old fossils. Yeah, old, you know, just giant bones that are impossible to explain other than there was a really big beast. You know, there was something that was, right, here's here's a giant set of bones. And that's that's a very like uh, you know maybe a rash, rationalization, but I think there's a and especially around um, a lot of the research has been a, around Greek um, just because there's so much information in that world. Mm-hmm. But I think there's another canyon somewhere where they think like the there's like Triceratops fossils that mm-hmm. are like smashed into the sides of the canyon, mm-hmm. and they look like because Triceratops had a beak and they look like griffins, and I think. It, mythologically griffins were associated with that area so it's just one of those things where you can kind of with a stretch of the imagination you can look at some old bones and rearrange them um i do think even in greece they had like they would take these giant sets of fossil bones and then like bury them and like in like lay them out like they were a human and bury them with whatever like they were heroes i think traditionally heroes not only being more powerful than regular people Mm -hmm. also are often given um, 
enhanced, like they're bigger, like they're physically Stronger bones, bigger physically hands, bigger than other people. Taller, right? Yeah. Sure. So tangent, but dragons, heroes, especially in this part stuff. of the world, right? I mean, yeah. we've got like uh, mentions of Nessie, mm-hmm. you know, further west, of course, than than Denmark, but sea beasties up there. I'm mm-hmm. sure that there were and even the plesiosaurs or something like that swimming around. Yeah. So sure, maybe I could see somebody finding plesiosaur bones and thinking, this is a dragon, 100%, probably also had wings mm-hmm. flying around. I bet you, you know what? You know what? Fire. I'll bet you any amount of money that this thing breathed fire. <laughs> and then the stories just happen. So yeah, sure. Or maybe, who knows? Maybe there were dragons and we just haven't found the fossils yet. Pretty sure that's not the case, but you never know. The world may never know. There's yeah. always hope, Tanner. There's always hope for dragons. There's always hope. Burn down my palace. I'm going to have to go 50, 50 winters from now with you, my Wheelof, <laughs> to slay this beast. Let's talk about Wheelof. I mean, what a nice guy. Yeah, a companion. The Who only for good Beowulf one. For, and I feel like this is this almost sets it up to be like a, if there was going to be like a, a chapter two, if you were going to make a trilogy, mm. if you were the director of this movie and you didn't make a trilogy out of Grendel, Grendel's mother, and the dragon, you could make a trilogy out of... Beowulf, and then Wheelof, and then Wheelof's children or whatever. I feel like that's an easy play to make. Because, again, the the theme is that you do good by your uh, superiors. That was really, I mean, that was super present at the end of, nearing the end of the story in that mm-hmm. dragon battle. I yeah, mean. so, I mean, Wheelof is Thane to Beowulf, who was Thane to Heloc, mm-hmm. who was Thane to... Rethel. I mean, like, so now it's just layers and layers and layers. And Beowulf was in an alliance through his father with Rothgar. So, and we were looking at earlier, um, and I think we'll make this available for is a like a map of people's relationships to each other. Yeah, we'll who definitely. marries who, and whose fathers kills somebody else's brother's nephew's friend, and right. now you owe them something. So it's this crazy wigwag map of relationships but then again it's enforced with even in its last moments how Beowulf was just as good to his superiors Mm -hmm. as he was throughout the story now Wheelof is is being the Beowulf of the next generation of of, yeah for for Beowulf so it's just that that reasserting that these things are like length and these you know it's kind of like they mentioned chainmail a lot so chainmail's been on my brain Mm -hmm. like the the war weeds and the rings and Mm -hmm the Bernese and such um, in that chain mail is only as strong as it is because it's so many rings. It's one of those things like a bed of nails. Like if you step on one nail, you're going to the hospital. If you step on a bed of nails, you're just fine. You know what I mean? So it's like these relationships and these, these alliances and, and you think it's a little bit of poetic. I don't know if it's in the story, but I feel like it's, that there's rings binding binding people together. It's, it, it mentions that, and we've come about that it that the rings refers both to the chainmail and to like rings, like jewelry, like uh, even uh, that Heloc gave out rings, um, and they were like marks of kinship and marks of like who you've um, sided with and like who you owe favors, who owes favors to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You can't you can't remove that from this story. Like if this isn't about Beowulf, as much as he does these good deeds for his own, like he gets the benefit of being the hero, and 
And even as we just saw right before he dies, he mentions, while I was alive, I, I did not let my reputation slack or be tarnished. So he has personally, he has the benefit of having done all these good deeds. But all of these good deeds were for the benefit of the kingdom, right. for the benefit of the Danes, for the benefit of Rothgar, for the benefit of Heloch. So many people are helped by this. And I don't know if that's specific to Beowulf. I think in that they're so directly correlated through these familial and, and tribal connections. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, like, isn't that the, the, defi- the true definition of a hero? Is somebody who is, like, basically helping others. I agree. I think there's three purposes to this story. Having come this far along, maybe I would save this for the last bit of commentary, but at this point, I think it's safe to say that there are the three focuses of the bard or the writer telling this story is to, one, tell of a couple of epic battles, right? It's an entertaining story. To, two, mention that the only reason that Beowulf was as successful as he was, there's a lot of reference to Christian God in this text. So there's definitely a focus on making it clear that these actions were made possible through God's will, as mm-hmm. as it were, that he was... As the weird winds. As the weird winds, right. So, so there's definitely an ecclesiastic quality to this story where, remember, we're competing, Christianity is competing against paganism, and that's definitely happening. Uh, in the time that this story was written. So some of that's going on. That's part of the purpose of the story. And then thirdly, probably just as much actually, is this idea of honor, what you're saying. Serve your king and good things will happen to you. When you get treasure from defeating Grendel and from defeating Grendel's mother, you take that treasure back to your king and it's up to the king how much of that treasure you get to keep and how much of it goes to the kingdom. And that's your duty. That's your honor, your civic duty, your honorable duty to do those things. Um, so all three of those things are just constant themes throughout the story. Cool mm-hmm. story, Christian God, better than paganism, and then honor. And I think that that's, I mean, all three of those things mixed together really, really, really well in this story. Mm-hmm. And I've just had a blast telling it, but it's not over yet. So we reinforced motifs, but now we need to get into this dragon fight, mm-hmm. which is slightly different than all the other fights for two very big reasons. The Grendel fight... Boom, over in a night. Actually, it's probably over in... 15 minutes, it seemed like, right? <laughs> it's a quick one. The Grendel's mother fight, if you take out the travel time of swimming to the bottom of the ocean... <laughs> Sinking, more like right. it. <laughs> also, just a very quick fight. Boom, sword fails, grab the other sword, kill Grendel's mother. Mm-hmm. This fight, however, they they kind of dance around that it takes more than one try. Right, The shield gets burned up. It even says the shield doesn't last as he would as he would want it to if he were to defeat the dragon well, in I'm one day. Well, I'm not sure if that's right, because he asked specifically for an iron shield, doesn't he? Before yeah, he goes he into this battle, up. he says, I'm it says not... says it doesn't last as long as he, as he would need it to. I think they were talking about the strength of the sword not holding out. No, the sword does fail. But the text says, the shield well protected life and body of the famous warrior for a lesser while than he had willed it if he was to be wielding victory in that contest on the first day. Oh, so maybe because it's iron, it gets maybe too hot for him to deal with. Maybe it starts to melt. Who knows how hot, hot dragon fire is? Yeah, it's just it's a it's again that this the the weaponry and the armor is failing fails him. Beowulf. Yeah. Um, 
which I, I think is there is, a fight of that? De- it almost reinforces the idea that he should have just barehanded dealt with all of these mm-hmm. characters because as soon as he tries to use a weapon, it just gets progressively worse for him. He tries to use a weapon with Grendel's mother, does not work. Even the one that does work melts. Right. <laughs> he tries to use a weapon with the only fight that's gone yeah. off without a hitch at this point is the one with Grendel. Yeah, and I think that's part part two about. It is not the craft of the weapons and the armor that makes Beowulf such a great hero. It's God's blessing and his awesomeness. Yeah, it yeah. is just he is he is skillful and crafty and strong, and he has fate and God on his side. Yep. Where I want to compare that to, I think a lot of people might know, the movie Troy. There's mm-hmm. that scene in the very beginning where we get introduced to Achilles, and it's that one-on-one fight versus the giant guy. And he basically just runs up and stabs him once in the neck, and then that guy's dead. It was like, did he need to put on his armor for that? Did he need to have a sword? Is there any doubt that he could have just snapped his neck without the sword? It was just one of those things. It's that moment you're like, oh, like, Achilles is that. He's that guy. He's on the next level of, like, don't even try to fight me. Anybody that's, like, less than a god doesn't even get to fight Achilles. Unless you're just a keen archer who has a very key specific piece of information. Um, well, even in that, even that was, uh, one of the, one of the gods helps, um, Paris shoot that arrow. That's, that's not just Paris being a good shot, which he is, <laughs> but you know, a little bit of help never hurts. Anyways. And I want to, I want to regrettably apologize for that. I seem to compare a lot of stuff to Greek, um, uh, when Beowulf is so, so distant from that. I think Nordic culture, if I'm not misappropriating that word and this anglo-saxon viking nordic world is probably fairly removed from that well the roman empire uh the holy roman empire did come to blows with if the holy roman empire was not the roman empire well that's true that is you're you're like five generations the collapse of an empire and the destruction of the destruction and forgettance not a word (laughs) that forget like i think we all knew what you meant this, you know, so the classical period precedes the Dark Ages, is followed by the Renaissance. And a lot of the Renaissance is brought back by a resurgence in, like, classical wisdom and a lot of this information that was philosophy and arts and all this stuff that was created during the classical period mm-hmm. is just destroyed after Rome is sacked. So is this classical period Dark Ages border or Dark Ages Renaissance border? This I would say 10th century, mm-hmm. I think 10th or 9th century right, right. is where we where we kind of place Beowulf. This is not only is it geographically very removed, but I would say that this is in the dead center between the fall of Rome and the rebirth of well, the, not the rebirth of the Renaissance because Renaissance means rebirth, but the Renaissance. So it's like smack dab in the middle of the Dark Ages. It's I bring up the Greek stuff because it's what I know and I draw a lot of parallels to. Mm-hmm. Only because that canon is so large. Right. There's not a whole lot of other stories that we can compare to Beowulf that exists within this Beowulf world. Sure. I think the Siegfried saga is definitely one of those. Yep. Um, but that is a whole other. There's a lot to cover in the in the world of Siegfried. Um, only because Siegfried was readopted in modern times by Wagner, and there's there's just, there's a lot to go into down there. Maybe we can in in other in future productions. Right? But um, so. Apologies, take it for what it's worth. We definitely recognize that, yeah. of course, Nordic culture is much different than Roman culture. And I think that 
think most people would understand that you parse information with the things that you know. Mm-hmm. So you draw parallels because you yeah. know Greek culture and you know that kind of history. So, you, of course, you're going to make those connections. Yeah. Although now I'm going to go forward into my life comparing everything to Beowulf. Right. <laughs> Which is what everyone yeah. listening should Somebody's do. Somebody's going to be like, oh, so-and-so killed such a big monster. I'll be like, did he do it barehanded? Did he rip his arm off? Not impressed. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> did he sink for a day and a half before uh, doing it? But back to this fight, he's really at, I mean, he's down on his luck in this fight before Wheelof shows up. His shield is failing him. His sword has failed him. Mm-hmm. He's exhausted. I mean, he's practically on his knee laying down. I mean, he's really, this dragon is, as you would imagine, a dragon would take a toll on a 75-year-old man. Yeah, it's a long fight. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. And, and like I think we've made reference to at least once at this point, this fight doesn't all take place on one day. Mm-hmm. There's a line that says something along the lines of he Beowulf doesn't want to give up his place at the bottom of the sea or at the foot of the sea or the shore of the sea or mm-hmm. something like that. And that's where this cave is. But he realizes that he's not going to wield right. victory on the first day. Right. He's kind of chased the dragon back to his lair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't want to give up that ground. So now it's a little more of a strategic Beowulf than we've seen. A little right. wizened by Even old, though this is glazed over very quickly in the text. Yes. It's almost you have to really look for it to realize that the venue has changed and that it's gone on more than one day. And this is the point, you know, after a day's a day long battle, he doesn't want to give up any more ground and his troops flee. Right. Except for Wheelof. Who we don't even know. Well no Wheelof I believe flees as well, but more in a hey you guys, where are you going? Because at some point he's addressing them. He's saying, Look, uh, he gave us rings, he gave us swords, we sat on the mead bench and made oaths, swore oaths to him. And this is when he needs us, and he's calling them out. And then Wheelof leaves them wherever they've retreated to and returns to help Beowulf. Like, I'm coming, Beowulf, mm-hmm. and uh, shows up and deals a, you know, deals a harsh blow to the dragon in such a way that Beowulf's able to kind of regain his senses, and the fire stops, right? That blow to the belly that he gives him, that Wheelof gives him, stops the fire because the dragon's in pain, I guess, and then Beowulf delivers the final blow and basically cuts him across the gut and uh, lays him out. One of the best sentences in this whole translation is about how when everyone fled, mm-hmm. Wheelof had had a different response. It says, but they fled into a wood, their lives to be saving. And the mind of one of them was surging with sorrows. For to him whose thoughts are pure, friendship cannot ever change. Regardless of the condition, right? Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, we're we're his kins, his kinsmen. We're we're his friends. Who cares if we're gonna die being his friends? That's what friendship is. Which is again yeah. that honor stuff. <laughs> that honor stuff. Those honor things. <laughs> um, it is definitely a much different world, right? I want if if Beowulf was to be retold, mm-hmm. very different story, right? Right. A modern day Beowulf. Yeah. The fight would be some kind of online Twitter war. Exactly. <laughs> it wouldn't be a dragon. It would be somebody upset with you on Twitter or something. And I think one of the reasons that I enjoy stories like this is because it transports you back to a day of, and let's be honest, of course there were some horrific things that cultures that were considered Nordic did to people. I'm not saying that these people were morally superior to what we are today, mm-hmm. but there were certainly just elevated notions of what it was to be a friend, what it was to be honorable. And I love stories like this. Like it gets me right in the cockles when Uh somebody does something honorable in a film. And I think that's why I like, uh, I'm a big fan of Pixar movies. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's always something in a Pixar movie where someone just muscles up, you know. 
yeah. and does a thing and makes a sacrifice. And those always get me. I'm like, oh, right, right there. The little four-year-old Tommy <laughs> right? <laughs> through sheer power of will. Yep. Saves the day or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I love that stuff. Those are always, those are, yeah, those are just built to, to get you in, in the feels. Right in the feels. Right in the feels. Yeah. Well, there's still a little bit left. And unfortunately, at the end of this battle, during which Beowulf sustains a bite, which I think they say in the coolest way, that he brought the ring of bones upon his neck, talking about the ring of his teeth, of mm-hmm. the dragon's teeth. So he sinks into his neck, gives him a bite. And initially, this does not really phase Beowulf. I mean, Beowulf is still battling. And you'd mm-hmm. think if you got hit by a dragon of any size, of any reasonable size, that you would be done, that would you would be over. Uh, but not Beowulf, because as we know, he is a proper badass. And he continues to fight with the help of Wheelof, lays the dragon bare, kills him, and uh, eventually starts to succumb to the poison blood. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen poison blood in these characters. Mm-hmm. We don't know if Grendel had it, but we know that Grendel's mother did because it melted the sword. And I think that this goes going way back to the story where we talk about these creatures being of the race of Cain. They're very evil. Mm-hmm. There's also a mention that when Grendel and Grendel's mother were originally created or originally came into being, that this talks about, and this is the time where this is how evil things came to their being. And dragons are probably part of those evil things. So again, we see this poison blood and it starts to sink in and circulate through his body mm-hmm. and he's dying. And I think it's just classic Beowulf that he's, he goes, we laugh. Oh, we laugh. I'm dying. That's it's super painful. We laugh. I'm going to need you. To get me a doctor, Beowulf? A doctor? No. No. It's just some some gold. <laughs> can you go get the gold from the cave and show it to me because I need to right. see it so that I can more easily give up the life bail, I think right. is what he says. <laughs> give up his life. Just so, one more look. <laughs> just one more look. So Wheelof panically, panically runs. Panically? Is that a word? Runs with great panic into the, uh, into the horde, grabs as much gold as he can, and just dips back out to get to Beowulf, who's taking his last breath, throws some water on him to keep him talking, you know, and says, here's the gold. And Beowulf is pretty much like, oh, that's great. Thank you for bringing me that gold. By the way, I don't have a son. You're now the king. Have fun with that. Also, build me a monument mound, and uh, I think he tells him to put the gold in the monument mound, if I'm not mistaken, but I may have misunderstood that in the text. So we have Wheelof, who is now the king. We have a passed away Beowulf, who is demanding that a funeral mound be erected for him so that everyone can see he wants, to, he wants it to be called the Mound of Beowulf or Beowulf's Mound, and they're going to put the gold in it, and uh, we're going to end this story. So let's figure out how the Gaets, the wetter Gaets, say goodbye to their people in these very touching last few chapters of Beowulf.